This is Diver, podcast about diversity, equity, and inclusion in special education research. I'm your host, Federico Weitler, associate professor at the University of Illinois at Chicago and board member of the Division of Research of the Council for Exceptional Children. Welcome, welcome, welcome to our fifth episode of Dive In, a podcast about diversity, equity, and inclusion in special education research, a podcast sponsored by the Division of Research of the Council for Exceptional Children. Today, we have a great and unique episode, but before we get into it, I have some announcements, so just bear with me for a second. Uh, the Division of Research is calling for um, applications or nominations, better say, for their awards. Uh, and we have two awards that are uh, of particular interest, I think, for people who listen to the podcast, which is the Distinguished Researcher Award from Underrepresented Groups uh, and the Research of Improving the Educational Access Experiences and Outcomes of Bike Park Students with Disabilities. So if you know anybody or you yourself uh, wants to uh, self-nominate or ask someone to nominate you, please go to the um, website, the DR website, the cecdr.org, and click on the awards link and uh, and send uh, your nominations uh, for these very important awards. We would love to recognize the people doing great work in uh, the CC meeting um, next year. Um, so... I encourage you to apply, and you can also send me an email if you have any questions about those awards. All right, so today's episode, uh, we interview uh, three fantastic scholars of color who uh, together, they edited uh, an edited volume called Culturally Sustaining Practices Within MTSS, Featuring the Everlasting Mission of Student Engagement. And what I really like about this book is that uh, utilizes hip hop pedagogy to enhance and make uh, MTSS practices more culturally sustaining. So who are these three scholars? Well, uh, let them introduce themselves that they do a much better job than I do. My name is Laurent Scott, associate professor at the University of Virginia. John Tate, J.T. Taylor, uh, Associate Professor at Penn State University. Will Hunter, Professor of Special Education at the University of Memphis. Well, hello. We're, I'm so excited to be here with you. Don't, I don't have today one person to interview, but three. So this is my first record that I I, I, I break in, in, in our uh, podcast. And I'm so excited to talk about you, Laron, uh, J.T., and, and William. Uh, because you had this fantastic book that came out, uh, was in 2022, is that right? No, it came out March of 2023. All right. Uh, that just came out, just baked out of the oven. And uh, I think it's a very important book and you have very interesting ideas there. So um, can you tell me a little bit about this idea of the MTSS mixed state book, how it came about? What's What's at the core of it? So basically, during a pandemic, um, JT, Laurent, and myself, we were we were meeting um, in regard to some research projects, potential collaborations. And during our meetings, sometime it, with JT being a a DJ producer, um, myself being a DJ, we'll play music and talk about hip hop. And then all of a sudden, I was like, wait a minute, it sounds like a potential project. And we all have uh, some background in um, critical hip hop pedagogy um, and then have worked with the uh, multi-tier system su uh, support from the practitioner level um, and at the faculty level. So thought this would be a pretty cool, dope collaboration. That's great. Um... And tell me a little bit about the, uh, I mean, one of the ideas of the book is using you know, hip hop pedagogy to strength uh, MTSS frameworks, right? Or, or to to shape them so they're more culturally responsive. Can you tell me a little bit about how hip hop pedagogy can can do this, can stronger uh, make MTSS uh, a stronger practice? Oh, I 
Oh, okay. <laughs> <clears throat> well, when you look at so one of the things that we introduce in the book is the idea that you know from an educational standpoint, hip hop can be looked at this kind of this tiered system as well. Um, when we're talking about whatever multi-tier system of support, particularly a traditional type where it's kind of these three levels uh, pyramid system. And when you kind of relate that to hip hop, it can be structured in that kind of same, very similar type of way. So with the kind of bottom level being the idea that, you know, whatever it is you're doing, whether it's uh, behavior intervention, academic intervention, uh, social emotional intervention or hip hop, is universal, right? There are these in hip hop. There's these universal themes that kind of cut across, regardless of where you are, kind of in hip hop. Whether you're from the East Coast, West Coast, from the South, whether you're from Tanzania, whether you're from Spain, whether you're from Greece, there are these universal themes that just are a part of what is baked into hip hop as a culture. And if you look at it kind of tieredly, then that's kind of your universal level. Kind of that middle level is community, right? So when we're talking about that second level on a traditional MTSS tier is group, kind of small group, flexible grouping, which Will is a, uh, very adept with hip hop the same way as community. So hip hop is about what communities we're in, which is a group, right? Smaller group than kind of the world, but still very distinct to your neighborhood, to your region, to your state, to your city. So it's a group. Uh, and then that top tier, uh, tier one, it would be in again in traditional kind of MTSS is individualized, right? There's very specific, very targeted kind of uh, interventions, and hip hop is very individualized. You know, these are stories that are told at an individual level, and hopefully they permeate through the entire hip hop tier. So that's one of the things we introduce in the book because those parallels seem to exist, and we just kind of wanted to not just highlight those. Um, parallels, but really, how do they look for students who, you know, kind of identify more with hip hop culture or yeah. need that kind of support in their life? And it's part of their lives. Hip hop is a global phenomenon. Mm -hmm. So to ignore it is to the detriment of millions and millions of students across the world. So, you know, it, it was in our discussions as we were trying to like put this together, because it didn't, it didn't all necessarily fall into place. Um, but as we discussed it and talked it out and randomly talked about other things, hip hop culture related, I'm like, Oh yeah, this makes sense. This, this makes sense. And these things do really go together. We just have to help people kind of see that picture, which can be sometimes hidden just because, not everyone's a hip hop fan. Not everyone's into hip hop culture as an entire culture or even know about it. So one, we had to make people knowledgeable of hip hop and hip hop as a kind of an educational pedagogy and kind of hip hop based education. Mm -hmm. And two, explain and further explain how these parallels exist and how they make sense, mm. whether you consider yourself a hip hop head or not. And that's the other thing, too, is. Not necessarily that you are a student or a, even a humongous fan of hip hop. Some people are just casual fans, and that's okay. You, you, we don't want everybody to go out rhyming. We do not want that. We're clear on that. We don't want that. That is just, that is not good for the culture. But what we do want is people to have an understanding of kind of how to view hip hop culture individually, kind of community, and then universally. Hmm. So I see you draw very similarities between MTSS and, and hip hop. Uh, um, and beyond that, when you go into teacher's practice, I mean, how how do hip hop can be embedded within those practices? Uh, so, so some of these uh, MTSS uh, interventions or practices can be more culturally responsive. Yeah, so um, again, I think as uh, JT was mentioning, uh, what we tried to do in the book is draw a um, sort of conceptually this framework of how uh, hip hop and uh, MTSS uh, can align and provide really practical uh, examples for 
teacher educators, for, for educators on how to uh, make the connection and association between the two. Um, but when we think about it from a culturally relevant perspective, uh, there are broad themes uh, in uh, culturally responsive teaching practices that are just good practices that everyone should be doing, right? Uh, good practices that align uh, with hip hop uh, pedagogy, things like having um, infect, uh, effective instructional engagement. That is uh, a clear uh, line that uh, is 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 really the 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 base for hip hop pedagogy, right? Thinking about instructional en engagement, which is something that every educator should have as a uh, a tool for doing good teaching, good relevant teaching. Uh, you think about uh, this global idea of of bringing forward multicultural awareness and multicultural education. Uh, hip hop pedagogy uh, has that 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 spirit of 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 alluding to multicultural awareness, uh, thinking about critical thinking and social justice. Uh, the roots of hip hop is based in social justice. Uh, that directly aligns with culturally responsive teaching or the, the spirit of culturally responsive teaching. Uh, so there's clearly an opportunity to link uh, these types of, of, of really broad and, 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 and global uh, conceptual frameworks that are just good practices that, uh, again, when we think about authenticity, when we think about practicality, when we think about uh, ways in which to, to scaffold instruction so that teachers have the tools that they need to be doing responsible, uh, culturally relevant teaching, uh, we clearly see that hip hop pedagogy has those same uh, tools and 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 resources and opportunities. So we really wanted to to bring that to life in the book, and I think you see that as you go chapter by chapter and see some of the really great examples that uh, I wish I had back in the day when I was in the uh, in the classroom. And and we we hear that from others who are who pick up the book and are able to see the different examples. And this is just the beginning, right? So uh, what we tried to lay out was the conceptual idea of how this work can happen, but there's so many different ways that with cre mm -hmm. creativity that educators can use this as a starting point for doing good instructional, engaging, culturally relevant work that's based in hip-hop. Mm, thank you so much for that for that response, Laron. I mean, I, I want to pick up on something that you say. You say like the hip-hop, the roots are, are have like very strong social justice roots. Um, at the same time, uh, uh, hip hop also has been critiqued for being misogynist or ableist. Um, how how can those critiques be taken in consideration when you try to apply for hip hop pedagogy to MTSS? So within the first um, chapter of the book, uh, and it's broken down into two areas, um, inspired by uh, legends, uh, Wu-Tang Clan entered the 36 chambers where it's a disposition component, teacher disposition, critical element of the book, and then Trill Education, inspired by Legends, uh, Underground Kings, uh, Bun B, Pimp C. Um, that's the second part of the book. With the first part of the book, remixing um, MTSS with one of the first chapters, it addresses the elephant in the room, per se, as far as the ableist or misogyny elements that's attached to hip hop. And then what we also say in our presentations and the element of the book is that there's a difference between hip hop and rap. Mm. And we're not saying that hip hop is free of, of, of being uh, critiqued, but at the same time, um, based on our perception and was generated throughout the book, is hip-hop is the element of uh, creativity. Mm. Oh, still, I like to add. Oh, go ahead. But still recognize that there's still some conflicts associated with hip-hop, but the, what we argue is, is the, most of the conflicts is associated with rap. Mm. JT? Yeah, along with making that distinction, because we really break down kind of the elements of hip-hop culture as a culture. Uh, most people are familiar kind of with the, the rap 
part of it, the the music part of it. But we we have a section in a, a chapter where we break down the culture itself and what are the elements that make up the culture, which include all of these other things. And as far as the critiques are concerned, again, as Will said, we we don't shy away from the elephant in the room. Every musical genre or most musical genres have mm-hmm. some sort of critique that can be made in in that kind of vein. There, you know, if we're talking about country music, there's misogynistic mm-hmm. uh, and all types of country music. Hey. So, you know, we can we can we can dig into that. We don't run away from it. We don't shy away from it. However, what we will argue is that the focus on the negative parts of of hip hop or at least the culture have you know sometimes overshadowed the rest of it they there are a number of different artists and um in all parts of the culture with you know, i'm calling artists as dancers graffiti artists whatever who are espousing positivity yet you know the spotlight shines on those who are not necessarily doing that so yeah we don't run away from the critique we don't we don't hide the elephant in the room it's an elephant so we just address it that is there and um really focusing on the parts that will be useful and for those who want to use this in their classroom and use this with their students to also be able to make that argument about not shying away from the critiques but lean, leaning into the positive parts absolutely absolutely i mean if you don't address that if on the room you cannot help others also to to you know to have some sort of critical reflexivity and look at how maybe their own music styles or even their hip hop their life may have those elements that even though uh have uh roots based on so just may be detrimental for other populations i think that that's that's key what you're saying uh thank you jt um i must say that i think the three of you are extremely brave and why do i say this uh, not because you're, you know, saving kitties in trees or old ladies from burning fires, but uh, I think this uh, this enterprise you went through. I mean, you, the reason that I say you, I think you're very brave, is because the three of you have come from also very traditional special education background, for what I understand, in a sense, right? Some of you, as you told me, were meet at TCBD, was conference mostly. Uh, for people doing research and doing work with students with emotional and behavioral disabilities, which is also an enclave of, of traditional, I think, special education. And, and you can correct me on that. It's all good. But you're doing work within that, that community, but work it kind of defies also what that community has been saying across time, right? Because um, traditional special education, uh, some researchers have argued that, you know, Cultural responsive practice has no relevance or has uh, no empirical base. And therefore, uh, if intervention doesn't need to be cultural responsive because it was proof or uh, uh, there's evidence that works across context. Um, and I think your your book and your work comes to challenge a little bit of this tradition within the field. Um, how, how do you respond to those kind of rationales, to 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 these kind of comments? Laurent, you go there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thanks. I get the easy one, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so you know, I I I think it's easy to um to see these things as um harsh critiques. Um and then you can also see the uh the critiques as opportunities for uh really being able to immerse people in what is culturally responsive teaching? What is culturally sustaining uh, pedagogies? And you know what is hip hop pedagogy essentially? And um, one thing that I think you can't ignore uh, that when we talk about evidence, and this goes back to what JT mentioned earlier, is that when we look across uh, the world, essentially, we know that hip hop has touched millions, if not billions of people, mm-hmm. uh, and we can see with our own eyes what it does in terms of of, of engaging uh, the room, engaging people in, in, in song and dance. And similarly, when we think about the, the 
idea of culturally responsive or culturally sustaining pedagogies, uh, the, the, the idea is really to think about reconceptualizing how learning is, is done, how learning is critically important and done through a social justice lens. And we can look back as recent as you know, uh, the past few years at the type of movement uh, that we've had in our our, our country uh, mm-hmm. and, and in the world in many, many cases mm-hmm. uh, to see that there is, you know, there's not only a need, but there's evidence of what happens when people uh, are are looking through a social justice, a multicultural lens. And so to ignore that, I think is the wrong, in my opinion, the wrong approach to to take, to ignore um, whether it's from an interventionist standpoint or from a, you know, any scientific standpoint, uh, how culture has an effect on the work that we do is to miss the moment, mm. right? Uh, so thinking about good culturally responsive teaching um, and good culturally sustaining pedagogies is to think about intervention work around engagement or um, or collaborative teaching or responsive teaching or assessments um, and to center culture in that work um, and to me, I think that is good practice. There is evidence behind uh, those types of, of 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 practices. Again, when we're looking at different types of instructional engagement practices, uh, there's a number of evidence behind uh, uh, teachers having good evidence-based instructional engagement engagement in their classroom, and to decenter culture in that to decenter uh, socio-cultural identity in that I think is is you know is the wrong approach to take but I'll go a step further and say that um when we think about opportunities we're still a field that is fairly new right mm-hmm. when we think about doing the type of scientific research that we want to do so there's opportunities for us to bring um other scholars other budding scholars into this practice so that we continue to grow the evidence base mm-hmm. and i think that's more important um at least one of the lessons that we have to get out of this as well yeah so i will speak that game and then yeah. <laughs> The, the 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 you hit on so many things the the la- I want to do the last two parts particularly kind of that buddy and the collaborative part we wrote the book with that intention in mind that's why it's mm-hmm. an edited volume and there's so many mm-hmm. also um, scholars and people involved in the book like it could have been an endeavor with just us three doing it and doing all the work and part of it was like we don't want to do all the work we want to we got we know other people doing a lot of really cool work can, that can write in this space so it, it has been a collaborative effort and you know as uh will can definitely tell you about the idea of ciphers and having this kind of which is a very hip-hop idea and the hip-hop kind of process of everybody kind of together in this circle doing this thing. And I'll, I'll let you break that down a little bit more, Will. But the other thing I wanted to touch on was that tension that you mentioned in the original question. We were very cognizant of that tension. Mm. And we wanted to create a fulcrum where we can balance that tension, which is why when Will talked about the book being divided in these sections, so we you know, we have multiple sections, but the largest ones were the enter the, uh, enter the 36 chamber section, which is kind of, helping people understand the pedagogy and the disposition and perceptions and that kind of theory based section. But the other large section, the trill education section is meant for those traditionists as well who have this critique and to show them instead say, show them the way like we're Jedi, but we're showing them the way and not just us, the people who wrote those chapters. Those mm-hmm. are evidence-based practices and research-based practices in those chapters. We're talking about some very, quote-unquote, traditional things that we have now figured out or had people figure out how to 
infuse hip hop and kind of make it. And I, and I, I like to use the term kind of uh, culturally focused, but I'm changing that. But to culturally inclusive pedagogies, so mm-hmm. include the responsiveness, re- uh, relevant and sustaining, all across the kind of that spectrum. So call it culturally focused or culturally inclusive pedagogy, and the that whole section of trail education includes uh, active student engagement, uh, flexible grouping, uh, group contingencies, uh, math instruction, explicit instruction, like all of the traditional quote unquote stuff that special ed people like to see, hear, and talk about. However, we we did the work or those people and those authors did the work to make it infused culturally and mm. to have that element of hip hop in it. Some more, some less, but still all of it has it in there. Um, and that was kind of, we we purposely did it that way. It was intentional. Mm. Yes. And that, that's a interesting uh, question. Like the first part of the question, quite a, uh, I'm processing the unpacking process right now. I'm going to say process twice. Um, but the during when we present, and something I ask the audience are when we provide context is, um, Research shown that there's biasness in policing. Research mm-hmm. has shown there is biasness in the health field. Mm-hmm. And as JT indicated, um, and Laron, that our, pra- our practice of special education, let's say applied behavior analysis, to my knowledge, is, is pretty new, right? 1970s, if you go mm-hmm. back to those original articles. So it's a new science, but it's been proven that with established sciences longer than our special ed world, there's biasness that's within that. Couldn't it be biasness um, possibly uh, included within these practices, within these interventions, within MTSS, tier one, tier two, tier three? Um, so with that said, one element that research has shown discussion is to help eliminate that is for the educator to operate as a facilitator to have that shared experience, that common. Mm. That's what hip hop is. One of my favorite groups um, that I'm rocking right now is Outkast. And um, like one of my favorite songs is Elevators. And one of my favorite rappers, Dre 3000, where he's, you know, said, I got the same problems as you have. Um, so when that takes me back to when I have conversations with friends, like you think someone else is, you know, having a, you know, great, t- great things happening in their life. And you think, ah, things are not so good for me. But when you exchange that information, like we all got our issues. That's that common experience when it comes to hip hop, where now taking the, the teacher, the facilitator, where not necessarily focus on the negative, but they got the same common experiences as the students that are within their classroom communities that's where that connection comes in and arguably what we're arguing is is that that makes the intervention where you whatever intervention within the tier one tier two tier three you be able to potentially implement because now there's the common ground there's there's shared experiences versus i'm coming in hey this is going to work and the students may feel like you're not rocking with me you're not rolling with me i ain't trying to hear what you're saying Either I'm going to go to sleep or I'm going to disrupt your class. Yeah. You pick. But with having that relationship, that kind of helps break break that uh, apart. Yeah, connection is so important. And, and I think one of the things that you say, uh, uh, Bill, uh, that in special education, we are we're not immune to all the bias and racism there is in society. Uh, and that that shapes the feel as well, we like it or not. Uh, I remember there was a, an article a few years ago, you know, in the New York Times asking, is special education racist, right? And to me, it's like, why wouldn't be, right? We, we are embedded within a system that it's racist in itself, right? Why are we immune to that, right? And what you're bringing out, I think it's like, we need to be conscious of that and we need to be re-reflected our, our own feel uh, to, to inquire and, and, and improve those practices. 
You know, one of the things in that end that, that really struck me about the book, you know, and it's called the mixtapes. And, and what you see, there's a lot of mixing of different um, uh, veins of thoughts, veins of work. Uh, you have, as I said before, from like behavior uh, in, and read interventions, but also mix up sometimes with, well, of course, hip hop pedagogy and black feminism, right? So it's it's a very interesting mix. Would you, when you were designing the book, were you concerned that this, maybe this intellectual current will be like watered down because you're mixing two different things and may lose their, their, their original meaning? Um, I think that's always a concern when you look at hip hop and uh, where you look at the 80s and 90s and ironically you had some rappers, MCs accuse people of being true to the game, but then eventually they do the same thing that uh, they're telling other people not to do. So we're definitely aware of the watering down from a hip hop perspective. I'm um, not to say that we wanted to keep it uh, super underground, but maybe I guess maybe we did um, with the concept. <laughs> now I had to had to backtrack. Like I guess this, this is pretty underground. That what we're what we're doing, but um, we still with that attention we want to come in with the keep this pure and with the mixtape. Going back, hence I got the Memorex in, in the background, where you as a DJ, you select the songs, and that's what we did. We selected, uh, we uh, put a call out. We selected the MCs, as JT indicated, that um, great contributions. I mean, this book would not be the book without the uh, contributions from the authors, but we wanted those, those mix of perspectives. We also want to get an opportunity for early uh, career faculty to have opportunity to work with seasoned faculty. And that's the theme that's throughout the book. Mm-hmm. And then two, you know, since we already, you know, since we addressing some tension, like in special ed, there's a good old boy, good old girl club. Yep. yep. And we went against that. <laughs> and it, there's a reason why you, we have some, uh, as LeBron indicated, some super strong scholars that elect to go to other outlets that's outside of special education. Mm-hmm. And what the, one of the purposes, one of the many purposes of this publication is to show our world that we have a lot to contribute. We're addressing elephants in the room in terms of um, the potential biases within our field, but how can we come together like Voltron and, and really serve the community that we're supposed to be serving? Mm-hmm. One of the one of the most important elements of of hip hop as a culture uh, across the board, regardless of what we're talking about, is that idea of keeping it real. Hmm. Uh, However, we say it, keep it real, keep it 100, keep it a stack, whatever the words we use as far as the slang is concerned in hip hop. But all that means is authenticity. Where's the authenticity? All of that means being authentic. And, you know, again, it goes back to, as what um, LeBron said and Will said, relating to the students and being able to have them feel where you're coming from and you feel where they're coming from. And we didn't want to lose that authenticity in the book or, you know, now we not, then we're talking about something else. Um, so we we really, again, we operated with a lot of intention and with a lot of intentionality. and. You know, one of those things that we intentionally wanted to do was to keep it 100, to keep it real, keep it authentic, just mm. because not just not just for the spirit of of hip hop, which is, you know, kind of the purpose, but also, you know, there's something to be said about the authenticity of the field and being, you know, kind of authentic in how you come into a classroom. And we wanted to make this book available to teachers to do that as well. Mm. Thank you so much for that. You know, um, we have like some few concluding questions. Um, the first one that I pretty much ask, uh, kind of in different ways, but I ask in, uh, each of, of the persons that I interview is, can you give me three pieces of advice for special education researchers who wants to engage with hip hop pedagogies? Hmm. Maybe you can even recommend like two or three readings. Yeah, we'll do like what one of us do a thing a piece. Sure. Is this three of us? That there you is. go. Perfect. I'm lowering on the burden. <laughs> uh, uh, 
I can start off. I think um, <laughs> I think when we mentioned within our presentations, we give this graphic of staying in your lane. Mm. Um, and we vetted, we all vetted each other. And I say LeBron JT and ourselves as far as our background with hip hop based education, hip hop based pedagogy, critical pedagogy, um, MTSS, and we that's where we saw that there's alignments. And there is um, definitely a stage for collaboration. But if someone doesn't have that background, um, rather through experience, through having that knowledge base, then as JT indicated before, we, we were not trying to promote people to be rappers. <laughs> it's, so, it's, so, yeah. it's so many words. It's, it has something to be in, embedded within you. And the way how speaking now speaking for myself as an individual um i did not like my dissertation was flexible grouping however my background um university Cincinnati's urban educational leadership where i was introduced to uh, critical theory um in my program but i've also been a hip-hop um enthusiast since the 80s and with the, my flexible grouping research and through looking at Dr. Gloria Lassen Villain's work, Dr. Geneva Gay's work, uh, Dr. Rich Milner's work, mm. I saw that there was a connection as far as when students are within flexible grouping, it promotes the element of community. Mm. And, and then that's how it led down to this special education branch with hip hop based education, hip hop based pedagogy. But still, it was uh, still a very steep learning curve. Would not call myself an expert. I'm still learning, conferencing, reading. Um, is this a process? And so we definitely don't want to dis disrespect the research element of this, the hip hop uh, based uh, education element of this. So it's a process and really just being a student of that work um, before engaging in that work. Hopefully, I address that. Thank you. I I like it exactly what Will just said. <laughs> so I ditto everything that he just said about, you know, being uh, authentic, still being a, a, a student uh, myself of the uh, of this work and, um, you know, soaking it all in. And um, again, so, you know, sort of being able to remain open uh, mind when you are engaging in uh, the types of opportunities that are out there. Um, I think uh, sometimes when we're not, we have the blinders on, uh, we miss those opportunity to uh, to engage in the type of work that is possible. Um, again, I go back to the message about reconceptualizing uh, education. And I think the same can be said for the research space. There's still a lot of ways in which we can uh, reconceptualize the special education research core and what that looks like and how we engage uh, future scholars, how we engage as scholars in that work. Um, and so being open-minded to that, I think, is going to be, uh, to be important. Mm. And again, I'd say go back and uh, for me, reading, um, as Will pointed out, uh, Dr. Gloria Lansing Billings' work uh, and Django Perez' uh, work, um, I think are really, uh, really core to at least me, what I um, like to think about in a spirit of doing the work that I do and the and blending it with uh, this hip hop pedagogy world that I find myself into uh, now. And yeah, I'll pause there and maybe circle back a, a little later. What was the question again? Well, so, <laughs> <laughs> so wait, so like some suggestions and, and, and so Yeah, okay. a recommendation I, 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 for people who wants to do, you know, wants to engage in hip hop pedagogy and special ed research. Okay, Roger. So I'm going to go with um, I, I'm I'm going to try to meld some of the things that that Laron and Will said because you know in my background as a as a classroom teacher I use music not just hip hop but music of all types 
and, you know, kind of did my own research in my like classroom action based research. So I think as a classroom teacher, you know, that is an avenue is doing I'm a pro I'm an advocate for action research and teachers doing research. So because I was a teacher who did research in the classroom, not as a quote unquote research scholar and all that kind of whatever that is, but as a actual classroom teacher working with kids daily, I was, you know, especially we're collecting data. We're always collecting data because that's kind of what we do for the job. So, you know, I was I've always been an advocate of teachers participating in the process of scholarly work in mm-hmm. some way, shape or form. So, you know, I'm I'm going to um, practice what I preach in, in, in that vein. Um, with, with that being said, just with my background kind of in producing music and kind of being around artists and working with artists, at, you know, making mixtapes and, and that kind of deal. Um, you know, this was always going to somehow be a part of what I did in, in some way, shape or form. So, you know, if you're a, a researcher, regardless of where you are in your station and, you know, you're interested and curious, I would say, you know, do what you would typically do when you're doing your research. So it's just like any other thing is just it, it's it has a hip understand hip hop, first off. Understand hip hop as a culture, understand the nuances and again, don't shy away from the critiques. Um, so there are a number of of papers out there. I, I read like there's some stuff that's kind of even to the even to the very new, very young field of hip hop based education and hip hop pedagogy. You know, there's the book from Chris Endom and, and Edmund. Um, I can't remember the exact name of it the urban hip hop hip hop uh, compilation. compilation yeah which is which is at this point kind of a you know very um foundational text at this point even though it hasn't even been out that long it because of what's in it and who's in it, it is a really important text for hip hop based education and hip hop pedagogy um i would say another book is particularly when looking at how in, in special ed, particularly in how hip hop has always kind of been a part of special ed in the conversation. There's a work by my colleague here at Penn State, Mildred Beveda, Beveda mm-hmm. uh, on kind of looking at hip hop and special ed from a black feminist point of view, which is a really powerful, you know, kind of publication mm-hmm. uh, on examining the lyrics of hip hop artists and their conversations about education and special education. That's a really, really good one. Um, if you're, again, I don't shy away from the critique. So there is a, uh, a article that came out recently that kind of critique is looking at the critique of hip hop pedagogy. Um, and if you want to understand where some of the <clears throat> critiques are coming from, it's called the pitfalls of hip hop pedagogy. Now there, I have critiques of that critique because it's not, is not all <clears throat> very well formed, and it's clearly the person doesn't have a solid understanding of hip hop as a culture, mm. right? So you know now now we get to critique the critique, and how are you critiquing a hip hop pedagogy of any type, and you don't understand the foundations of that pedagogy? So we can talk about that, but it's a good read. Check it out. Um, another really, I'm saying really another really good article. It doesn't exist yet. I'm writing it. So we're still and and we're still doing kind of this work in whether we're um, publishing research, whether we're publishing kind of theory, whether we're publishing practice like there there are still I would say it hasn't been written yet. Not necessarily by me or even us. There's going to be some fantastical works uh, being published, you know, here like I. I get a newsletter every day because AERA, the American Educational Research Association, has a, I'm not sure if they're what they are, or not a group or whatever they are, but they have a hip hop group. Yes. Is it a group? Yeah. So, and I get that newsletter and it has publications or, you know, different scholarly works based on hip hop education. And then whenever they put it out, 
So it's always a good way to keep up with kind of mm-hmm. some of the new stuff that's out there, regardless of kind of what field you are in, because it falls through the cracks. If you're only yeah. used to looking at stuff in special ed, then you're probably going to miss it. You're only yeah. looking at stuff in urban ed, you're probably going to miss some other stuff somewhere else. So, you know, it, it's if you're interested, do the homework, do the look, and our book, hopefully our book will become a foundational text as well. And and those authors who wrote those chapters, you know, try to balance the things that we asked in the balance, whether they were talking about the disposition and theory or talking about the evidence based practices or whatever they are and being able to kind of incorporate hip hop and use hip hop as the crux of what it is about. I mean, mm-hmm. we have a chapter on what is it? Thematic drumming, therapeutic drumming, therapeutic drumming. I, we, and I would be honest, and I don't know, y'all can say, we did not see that coming. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't yeah. see that coming, but we're happy to have it. Like, that's, when you think about it, and when we read the chapters, like, oh, that's pretty dope. So, like, it's, yeah. it's, and it's, it's taking it in from all the sources. Yeah, absolutely. Therapy. Yeah, go ahead, Will. Sorry. Uh, with that therapeutic drumming, that's a potential tier two, tier three strategy and I, i've witnessed it up front where just having the drumming the african drumming and then the dialogue it creates a, a a rich conversation that can be connected to content that may not necessarily you may not necessarily see it in a traditional classroom wow it kind of goes back to that lived experience and then for whatever reason it's something about the drum where d- different cultures connect to it's just like we could all be at the uh, TECBD conference and it could be someone, you know, 400 of us in the room and someone talking and we just got finished eating and kind of going back to sleep, back and forth. <laughs> and then someone put that drum on and if, the, if it's the right drum pattern, that at the minimum is going to wake you up. And then people going to look around and be like, what's going on? Now it creates some type of weird synergy, real vibe, and that, but we all connected through the drum. Hmm. And that's that to me may not necessarily get picked up in the ABAB withdrawal design. Yeah. Thank you for those advices and all those resources that you have to get to our audience. I mean, the the key authors and and pieces, I'm I'm sure it's going to be very helpful for people listening to to podcasts. And for what I hear, we'll we'll need to keep stay tuned because it's going to be another Laurent Scott, JT Taylor, and Bill Hunter article coming up soon. So we'll 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 keep we'll keep uh, forward to that. Uh, so you're on the hook now that you got to write it right. So you're you're you this being publicized and you know you're on the hook. Anyway, my last question, um, and uh, it's it's about thinking about the future. So. What would you like to see in terms of racial, gender, linguistic, equity, and justice in special education research in the next three to five years? Um, I'd like to see way more qualitative research-based uh, articles come out, um, diving into action-based uh, research mm-hmm. um, embedded within that. Um, definitely a form for um thinking about you know these these grants aren't taking place for no reason but think about all the federal grant programs for various universities that's promoting dei and recruiting doctoral students to write about critical work so it's happened so let's see their work be published in tier one tier two special education journals let's mm-hmm. not see them have to go somewhere else yeah showcase their work um, I also like to see a volume two, volume three of this book and creating, you know, this, let this book just be the foundation for classroom management courses, building community courses. Or if you think about special ed programs and seminars, this book serves as a, as a perfect, uh, seminar too. Um, because mm-hmm. again, with special education, um, I'm not a BCBA, but I know enough to be dangerous, but I still have that background. Mm-hmm. But that's not the only applied behavior analysis is not the only element of special education. It's just yeah. one element. And hopefully this book brings to light that um, versatility is needed in our field at the minute. Thank you. 
I'll, I'll keep it quick. Uh, I think Will answer was absolutely perfect. Uh, so I echo everything that he said. And um, again, just on a short, a short term, three to five years thinking um, about intersectionality, thinking about centering that uh, in research up front um, and thinking about uh, disaggregating in research cultural language and racial identity. I think that still is a mm -hmm. a uh, afterthought for folks in their in their work. So uh, being able to center and disaggregate, I think, is going to be important. Yeah, I should have went first. Uh, that, 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 wow. Um, I don't even know what I can add. That's just really good. Um, I would say one of the things, at least personally, my, my soapbox is always, um, let's, let's keep the conversation authentic and 100. Let's, let's not hide behind the, the, the other things that we're hiding behind and, you know, say what you mean, mean what you say. And there's a lot of not that happening. And so it's coded. And let's, you know, let's drop the codes and just say what you want to say. And we can go from there. I would also like to include more student voice, you know, students, mm -hmm. students of all backgrounds and types have something to say. We, we, we claim to give them audience, but we don't. We don't mm -hmm. give them all. We do not give them power to to, you know, kind of help influence their own educational struggles and their own educational growth. Uh, so I would love to do that more. Um, I'm always going to be an advocate for uh, teachers getting into the writing and the research of the things. You know, I, I think we we put research up on this pedestal and we make it out of reach for a lot of the people that we claim that we want to help. And how do we better make these conversations include not just include teachers as kind of do the thing that we say do because it's the best thing to do, but as part of them doing doing the research and equipping equipping them to do their own research mm -hmm. and to have to have a voice in the process of research and writing and all this kind of stuff because we there's still this gatekeeper situation going. On. And the people who are at the gates, uh, there's more of us than them. We can run, we can run the gate over, but you know we don't. So I, I, I would like to see more of that. And if we, if we were more authentic in kind of how we converse, then I think we can better get to the bottom and better help more teachers, parents, families. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Laron, JT, and, 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 and Bill, to be here with me. You give us a lot of food for thinking. I'm sure our audience will walk away from the podcast and will continue thinking about the things you say for a while. So thank you so much. And I, I look forward to, to seeing those new articles coming out. Thank you for listening to our episode. I hope you learned as much from the interview as I did. This episode was produced by me, Federico Vaitoller, Tasia Gonzalez, and Haya Abdelatif. Please, if you like this, the podcast, subscribe, and please tell your friends about it. See you next time.